1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and I'll be talking today to the two authors of Initiatives Without Engagement, A Realistic Appraisal of Direct Democracy's Secondary Effects. The book is published by University of Michigan Press, and the two authors are Josh Dick, who's here on the phone. Josh, are you there? I am here. Yes. Hi, Heath. Great. And also, Ted Lasher. Ted, how are you doing? Good. Thanks. Good. Yeah, it's it's great to have you both with us. Uh, What I'd like is for each of you to introduce yourself very briefly or in whatever way you would like. And so Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, Uh, yeah, I'm Josh Dick. Uh, I'm an associate professor at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. And I also uh, am uh, the co-director of the uh, UMass Lowell Center for Public Opinion.
0: Great,
1: Ted, and how about yourself?
0: I'm Ted Lasher, and I'm a professor of public policy and administration at Sacramento State. Uh, just heading back to the faculty after having served as interim dean of social sciences.
1: Oh, I well, see. So you must be very tired and looking forward <laughs> to, to your move back into uh, the classroom. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you both on and to have read your book. Uh, Josh, maybe I can start with you. Uh, your book is focused on ballot initiatives. Uh, and and for the uninformed, and and I think most of us probably aren't that informed on on how these uh what the, what the history of ballot initiatives are uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh their political development as as a tool of democracy and when we see them first introduced and and what the primary purpose
2: was sure um yeah, ballot initiatives in in the United States context at least were were something that really um sprouted out of the a a bit out of the populace and then the progressive movements at the turn of the century. So we see them start to show up in the early 1900s as a reform package in states. And they were largely seen as sort of a, a part of a larger menu of reforms that were meant to sort of sap the power of uh, political parties within states, so we see them as part of this larger sort of progressive movement um, uh, reform. And early on, they were used quite a bit um, in the states that adopted them. I mean, most of the states uh, we ended up getting them in 24 states. You see ballot initiatives adopted where uh, where people can actually uh, write laws. Uh, that are in complete circumvention of the legislature. So you can actually, you know, pass a law that the legislature never touches. Um, get a petition, get it through, um, have it approved, uh, and get it to a popular vote where you're actually voting in sort of a referendum style um, at the end, where, you know, 50% plus one, or in some cases a, a higher threshold, gets it, gets it to uh to become an actual law um and so those are that that's kind of the the uh the the setup for for a while they were used quite a bit uh when they were first passed and then we kind of went through this period where they were used a little bit less in the sort of 40s 50s and 60s and then around the 1970s we saw this uh tax reform movement start um with proposition 13 in california and we saw the sort of explosion of things around taxes and then we've seen a bunch of issues Uh, in recent years uh, show up via ballot initiative. And so it always seems that sort of the most um, controversial policies that are being pushed uh, through in the states often get kind of this uh, litmus test through the ballot initiative process that's often where we see things like same-sex marriage um, and, and a variety of things that have to do with institutional reform. Maine has recently done ranked choice of voting through. Uh, the ballot initiative. So that's kind of a sort of the briefest history of initiatives that I can give.
1: Yeah. And, and Ted, the book is, is mainly about what you call the spillover or secondary effects of initiatives. What are the types of effects that you're referring to exactly? And why might we expect these kinds of secondary effects? And you know, what, has what the literature thus far surmised about whether these have been primarily positive or negative?
0: Um, well, almost Josh explained that this uh, the initiative process basically came out of a, particularly the progressive movement. And almost from the beginning, claims were made that by participating in initiatives, ordinary citizens would essentially become better citizens, that the, this process would make them more interested in politics. It would make them feel more powerful or in the political science terms that's often used, more efficacious. It would make them uh, more convinced that um, public officials were reacting to what they wanted. It would perhaps make them more knowledgeable and trusting. So these sorts of, it wasn't, as we found, it wasn't necessarily a very coherent philosophy there, but these claims were made almost from the beginning. And then they were picked up um probably in the sort of late 1990s and early 2000s by political scientists who who tried to try to test some of these and some of the early literature uh claimed that they actually found some of these effects um uh, the other thing i should have mentioned of course was turnout that more people would be more inclined to vote if there were initiatives on the ballot um And so so there was some early literature that that, um, claimed this. We and some others were skeptical, um, that we doubted that initiatives had this effect because we didn't see the political psychology working the way people often claimed. Josh and I, and a few others uh, separately, and in some cases with us, looked at some of these effects, and they didn't hold up well, for the most part.
1: Um, Yeah, Josh... Yeah, maybe you can um, just tell us a little bit about the data that, that you came to, uh, and then we'll talk about sort of what, what you found. What are the right data to connect the initiative process to secondary effects? Where where did you look? Uh, and then we'll talk about the actual analysis.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, um, so it, it's it's a difficult process to try to, um, to connect um, data on the initiative process to this idea of secondary effects and 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 study, you know, uh, effects on individuals at the state level, um, and so I, I think the earliest studies of this, and, and this is something in literature even prior to the book Ted and I kind of focused on, were were looking at data from the American National Election Study, and so until very recently, ANES was done. Um, using sort of this pooled cluster sample methodology, which is the idea that because they use face-to-face methodology, they can't do like a perfectly random sample like you would in a telephone survey. Um, and, and so they just, they, they sub out metropolitan areas and then they survey a bunch of people in those metropolitan areas. And so it's been known for a long time that if you're trying to study congressional districts or states, effects in those areas, that you're not going to get good subsamples with the NES, And so a lot of the studies that were used early on to study the effects of the ballot initiative on these outcomes weren't really well suited. And so for us, we were trying to look to um, newer, kind of much larger data sets that would give us accurate substate samples. And so the, the bulk of the book uses the Cooperative Congressional Election um, uh, Survey Um, And also um, uh, survey data from from Annenberg uh, from uh, 2004 and 2008, but the CCES in particular provided us uh, with an ability to uh, test turnout effects in a way that we hadn't been able to before because they have these large surveys with vote validated data. And also they have, uh, we had an ability to uh, study these sub-state effects in, in ways that we really weren't able to do with some of the previous data well, uh, there's
0: one th- there's one thing i would add, uh, add on this and maybe it's because it seems so obvious to josh and me that we may forget to mention it that one advantage you have in studying initiatives is that not only do some states have the initiative and some states no don't but some states use the initiative a lot more um so like california and Oregon. And then some states use it a lot less, like Missouri. And so you, you can take advantage of the variation um, in initiative use to do, do analysis.
1: Yeah, and Ted, one of the interesting findings that come from the data relate to voter turnout, something you just mentioned earlier. What does your analysis say about the relationship of initiatives to changes in voter turnout?
0: Um, well, our initiative um, generally supports the argument that although it, it, with qualifications and in certain circumstances that the initiative process does tend to provide some increase in voter turnout the the critical thing though is that we don't see it uh related to uh people being more civically engaged say so, so some of the literature before claim that 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 it was increases in in engagement and interest that were producing the the rise in turnout, whereas we find, for example, that with respect to um, interest, there's really no difference across initiative states and non-initiative states. There is this increase in turnout, but we we attribute it differently. We think it has much more to do with mobilization and the fact that in particularly in sort of divisive initiative campaigns sort of marginal voters are uh, are brought to the polls and josh did the most work on on this so if, if you he's probably best at, at going into the
2: details here yeah I, the only thing i would add uh, ted actually did a great job summarizing the the findings for the chapter on turnout i i, I would emphasize um uh, that you know i mean i think that you know, we, we did a bunch of work here with the data, but it, it essentially were, we were trying to make this larger theoretic point. I mean, one of the things that you find in this turnout chapter is, is that our, our findings, or at least the basic findings, which is that ballot initiatives increase turnout, mirror a lot of what it already says in the literature. The, the essential puzzle of the book, right, is is that this finding exists that ballot initiatives increase turnout and that that finding has been replicated over and over and over again. But there were all these previous studies prior to us writing this book that shows that ballot initiatives increase turnout without having these other things that were supposed to be increased before turnout going up. And and so the the point of um, of this chapter five is for us to kind of try to unravel this turnout mystery, right? Which is why does turnout go up without us seeing increases in things like um, uh, voter efficacy and political knowledge and um, and the other and the, the parts of that democratic citizenship bundle that was supposed to sort of educate voters. Um, and lead to their increases and 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 so what we do in sort of leading up to that is build an alternative theory which is that it's a conflict process right so there's, there's an increase in conflict that's going on here uh ballot initiative campaigns are are making people angry at each other and that's what's leading to mobilization but it's these conflictual campaigns over same-sex marriage and it's the process by which um, um wealthy extremist entrepreneurs put uh, initiatives on the ballot. And that is what spurs turnout in these one-off campaigns. And so, yes, we find the turnout effect, but we find it without relevant increases in political interest or in voter registration. And we find that the effects are isolated mostly to partisans and not to independent voters. And so that kind of gives you kind of the the basis for for why, for why we find this robust turnout effect that we find and that ten others before us have found, um, without seeing all those other things that were supposed to happen before now, the turnout.
1: Ted. Effect. What motivated progressives to advocate for initiatives was a concern about partisanship and political parties. Based on what Josh has just said, uh, their work. Uh, may have been in vain on the polarization front. Uh, what did you guys find on on the on the issue of um, partisan sorting and polarization? You've just told us about voter turnout and interest, but but what about our uh, concerns about polarization? Does it does it uh, uh, rise or fall with that?
0: Well, in general, what we find is that if anything. Uh, Greater use of the initiatives is associated with more polarization, um, uh, and particular and, and more sorting. And that is the distinction being, uh, sorting is is more sort of ideologues of one stripe uh, falling in, into a particular party, um, and ideologues of the other stripe falling into the other party. And polarization is greater distance between them on, on issues. And if anything, um, the, the initiative process um, is associated with, with
1: more polarization. And Josh, how, how, could this, how could this be? One of the things we haven't talked about that you both have alluded to um, is, is the mobilization uh, and, and entrepreneurship that goes on around ballot initiatives. This isn't what progressives imagined, but it is what most people today think about, when we think about initiatives, that is the, the advertising campaigns, uh, the, the, the ways in which um, uh, media is involved in promoting initiatives on hot button issues. So how do those things come together? How, how do entrepreneurs relate to these findings that, that you've discovered on sorting and polarization? Is this essentially a partisan phenomena at this point?
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that um, there aren't, little r's and d's next to uh the outputs the yes and the no's on ballot initiatives but almost all ballot initiative voting is constrained by party id and people find the the relevant partisan sides of these val- of of these ballot initiative campaigns and so because most of this is partisan voting and we've known that for for a number of years. What this has become and, and what primarily our argument when you get into chapter uh, six in this book is, is, is that the ballot initiative then becomes a way to expand the partisan battleground and to actually to make it more issue based. So you can use controversial issues to expand the way in which you let people know that the parties are different from one another um you know by putting um by by forcing people to vote on a on a initiative about whether we should define abortion as personhood as they had to do in in um three times in eight years in colorado okay (laughs) that's going to increase Uh, Partisan sorting, because people in Colorado, if they didn't know before where they were, if there was any ambivalence about where you were on the abortion issue, you you are put in the position, if you're a voter, of making sure that you actually figure out what your position is. And, And so this this puts people in that position of having to 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 force themselves to 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 apply. Their partisanship to those issue positions in a way that they may not have fully done, and, and, and so it completes that sort of cycle and 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 forces the issue of partisanship. Yeah. So and and, and should, to be
0: clear, so this happens. So in some sense, it it tell the process tells partisans how they should be on issues, but it is not associated with any increase in general political knowledge. You know, we also looked at that question and, you know, if you look across initiative and non-initiative states or, or varying in terms of initiative use, you don't find any greater political, general political knowledge in, among
1: places where people face more initiatives. Now, Ted, you you end the book with some recommendations, and you divide those recommendations up into a couple of different categories. What do you recommend to scholars interested in studying uh, uh, direct democracy and initiatives?
0: Well, one thing we recommend is that people sort of give up on the idea that the progressive era had a coherent philosophy uh, that sort of hung together well and fit with you know uh, sort of larger uh, philosophical strains and that that really wasn't the case, and that we keep trying to uh, imagine that that it provides a template um, for for thinking about the initiative process and we we don 't think it does there were ideas coming out of the progressive era, um, but they weren't as coherent as as people often think, and and we're we're paying a price for thinking that they were onto something with respect to how direct democracy uh, affects civic
1: engagement. And Josh, what about for the, the wider world of, of policymaking and, and advocacy? What do you recommend to them? Are you a part of the abolish the initiative process camp, or, or are you going to take a, a sort of a different, uh, more more nuanced uh, approach to the subject?
2: You know, I, I think that it, it's actually more complicated than that. Because if you were to, you know, I, I think any abolition of the initiative would come with, the notion that you would need to do that by initiative and I, I i don't think that you could abolish the initiative by initiative in states that you, that, that did it or or you'd have to have a constitutional convention and, and so you know I, I think that and constraining the initiative process further um, means that you're going to close the door so only maybe the, you know, the the wealthiest elites are able to use the process in certain states. Um, I, I do think that states that use the indirect process and have fewer initiatives um, are, are potentially able to get some of the benefits, um, the reform benefits of the initiative process uh, out of it without as many of the, the potentially negative effects uh, of the process but but I do think that you you really it's it's difficult to imagine the the catch 22 that this process puts people in which is that they generally like the idea of public voting but then when you start to ask them a lot of the questions about you know what are the negatives of this process that they, they, don't, they think that the, the questions are very complicated. They find that the process has been co-opted by elites and they don't like how much money has been spent. Um, and so I think that you know, if you were gonna look at what should be done with the initiative process, I don't think you wanna abolish the initiative. I think you wanna focus on ways that the public would support reforming the process to constrain its usage, to kind of deal with its worst impulses.
1: Yeah, again, the book is Initiatives Without Engagement, A Realistic Appraisal of Direct democracy Secondary Effects. Josh and Ted, thank you both so much for your time today. Thanks, Heath. This was, this was fun.